Welcome to Potter Revisited, Episode 6. Chapter 6. Today we are discussing Chapter 6 of Philosopher's Stone, Journey to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Or, as we have titled it, Platform 9 and 6 Weasleys. So jumping into our first section where we're just talking about some off-the-top-of-our-head little things that we thought were interesting. A little bit about Harry and what a swell guy he is. What a guy, what a guy. Uh, Also, super funny. Like, Harry's so funny in the books. I think probably one of my favorite moments in this chapter is when the twins see Harry's scar and they're like, Are you him? Harry Potter? And Harry's like, Oh, him. <laughs> it, it makes me so happy. <laughs> oh, that guy. I, think it's, I don't think he intentionally tries to be so funny, but it comes off. But he is. Yeah, he is. He's such a natural. It's beautiful. Um, a little bit more we get about Harry in this chapter is how sad it is that he feels so good sharing his snacks with Ron because he's never had anyone to share with before. Like, that's so unbelievably heartbreaking. Reading this as an adult, like, you can remember being 11 years old and you just think, like, oh my god, like, this is so, like, oh, it hurts my heart sometimes reading, like, these earlier books are just, like, how, like, deprived Harry is of, like, anything joyful. Yeah. And the fact that, like, despite being raised by absolute douche nozzles, he, as soon as he has something to share, he wants to share it and it makes him feel good to share it. Like, Mm -hmm. he did not, that was not modeled to him at home, you know? That behavior is entirely Harry. And it's, he's an okay guy. (laughs) Harry Potter's not the worst. You can quote me on that. My thing was, uh, we met a lot, a lot of characters this chapter. So, just at the top, we'll probably discuss a few of them later on. But we meet the Weasleys. So we meet Mrs. Weasley, Percy, Fred and George, Ron and Ginny, which is our first wizarding family, which we'll probably talk about a bit later as this is the first family Harry meets. And you can tell right away that he's very like attached to this family, like seeing a family unit that's all magical. He finds it very interesting. We also meet Hermione and Neville. We meet Lee Jordan. He's not met, but he's referenced by Fred and George. We also meet Draco. Again, we get to know his actual name. And we meet Crabbe and Goyle. And then we also get to see Dumbledore. This is the first time Harry's seen Dumbledore. Because he's heard all about Dumbledore through Dumbledore's number one fan, Hagrid. But this gets the card, so he actually gets to see what Dumbledore looks like and a bit about his accolades, which is very interesting. So it's a big, this whole chapter is just a big kind of Wizarding World dump because we have Ron, who is someone who grew up in the Wizarding World. So Harry's just like, they're both kind of finding to they're very interesting because Ron, of course, growing up in the magical world, finds muggle technology and muggle things so interesting. Also, he finds Harry very interesting. But in turn, Harry finds Ron very interesting because he, he, he kind of get all this information from Ron as our number one wizarding source at the moment. Yeah, he's very, it's a very important role that really does get completely taken away from Ron and given to Hermione for some reason in the movies. But Ron is such an important, like he translates the wizarding world for Harry and for Hermione so much in the books. And this is sort of just that introduction to that sort of role that he fills. I definitely am a good Ron fan and I'm also a really big fan of Harry and Ron's friendship, which is very overlooked, I feel like, in the fandom, especially in the movies. Another th- thing I noticed was we get them, one of Harry's first thoughts is when he meets the Weasleys is that it, this must be what one of the old wizarding families is like when Draco Malfoy, who he didn't know was Draco at the time, told him Madame Malcolm's in the last chapter. And it's just very interesting because I feel like the book, the series in whole, spends a lot of time kind of differing the differences between the Malfoys and the Weasleys because they're the two big prominent families, especially pureblood families, but they're so completely different. So we have the Malfoys that are a super rich, like aristocratic family. Yeah. And we have the Weasleys who are definitely more of like a family as in 
they have they're focused more on like love and kindness where the Malfoys are about status and image. So it's definitely something to look into as we continue the series. It's definitely interesting how stark and immediate the differences are too. Like every sort of trait we learn early on about those families are opposite except for their blood status. Like the Weasleys are this huge family with a bazillion children and the Malfoys just have one and it kind of feels like that was their intention. And the Weasleys have like no money and that doesn't really matter to them. And the Malfoys have so much money and that is probably one of the most important things about their family and the thing their family values most besides blood status. So there's like, it's there's such a exaggerated differentiation between the two families. Yeah. Just to show you that, like it's not, there's no subtlety to it, you know? Yeah, and we'll talk about it later, but like how Harry kind of picks up on what kind of he has no idea so he met draco first but because of the way draco act he was more likely to side with ron who is this guy he doesn't know yeah so it shows a lot about harry's character very early on when really malfoy is probably more like the dursleys so you think harry being raised by the dursleys would gravitate towards someone that he knows but since um probably reminds him more dudley at that moment he moves away from it yeah He's like, nope, I've had that and I want none of it. It would be interesting to theorize almost because the first person Harry meets that's his age in a wizard is Draco and Draco's a little shit. And sort of the next one is Ron. It would be interesting to see like how things would have progressed if he just hadn't have ran into Ron first. Like he'd run into some other Hufflepuff, mm-hmm. so to be Hufflepuff kid or something, you know, just to see like, because him and Ron make sense as friends later on. But at the beginning, they're just like two kids who like latch onto each other because they're both experiencing this new fun thing. But it would be interesting to see, like, how long it would have taken them to become friends based on their personality types if they hadn't have sort of walked into each other at the train station. Yeah, because it's kind of like when you go to college res and you didn't have roommates, but I did. It's kind of like and in that first two weeks of school, you kind of are forced to become friends with your roommates because you don't know anyone else. But then it's either kind of like after that is the point where you kind of make your own friends or you actually become friends with your roommates. And I did the thing where I made other friends and didn't become friends with my roommates. So there's definitely a lot that's based on circumstance. And then there's actually like becoming friends naturally, which we do see. He got lucky that the person he probably would have ended up being friends with is the person that circumstantially he ran into first and was like, you're not the worst. Another thing I noticed near the end of the chapter is an announcement comes on the train that says their lug is to leave their luggage and it will be taken to the school separately. And I, for the life of me, I'm like, I swear in the later books, like that they take their luggage to the carriages to take them to school. Like I get it's probably intended for first years, but it doesn't reference first years. So it just feels like a mistake to me. I think it probably, I mean, it probably was a mistake at the time, but it can probably be justified as like, because first years take the boats, it makes sense that they wouldn't bring their luggage with them because they're small boats. And then maybe it's like an end of year thing that they mentioned to students like, oh, when you take the carriages, just so you know, you bring your own luggage. And then after they've like returned from Hogwarts to the train at the end of their first year, they know now that that's the norm. So they just sort of only make the announcement for first years because everyone else knows the rules, kind of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it initially was a mistake and then the author changed their minds about it or didn't think it was important enough a detail that anyone would notice, but we did. Well, in the next two books, we, we don't really see them get, we, well, next book we actually don't see, they don't, Harry and Ron take their own route to the school, so it's not really addressed until maybe the third book. Yeah. So you have a point here about the vote, the boats versus the carriages and the different kinds of transportation to take the different students to school. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I just... 
I think it's interesting that they have a, like, they put in the effort to have a whole alternate method of arrival for the first years just to make it seem more dramatic. Like, that's very, very Dumbledore. I wonder if that was always a thing from the beginning of the school's finding or if that's, like, a Dumbledore being very dramatic and, like, they must have the oh, wow moment of coming across the lake. I don't know if this is canon or not, but I always imagined that, like, the first years take the boats to the school on their first year on their first way there. And then when you graduate, you take the boats back to during your last year, you take the boats back to the train. Oh, that's cute. As kind of like coming to a full circle. But that might just be a fandom thing. That's wholesome. I like that. But yeah, I, I just think that the difference is for dramatic in the moment. Like they want it to feel super duper special. And someone decided that the best view of the castle, castle was coming across the lake at some point. So, but it would be interesting to know, like if that was always the way it was done, if that was a Dumbledore thing, or if like yeah. maybe originally everyone just took the boats across the lake. And then as the population of wizards grew, they decided to also have some take another transport method. I don't know, but it would be... Interesting to have some sort of way of knowing that, how it evolved. Yeah, definitely. As it's two different kinds of transportation. And I definitely like to know when the Thestrals got involved with the characters, they were always there. Because that just sound, that just seemed really dark. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But if, if they're well-trained, I guess maybe they were the only animals that were well-trained enough at the school. I mean, it's pulling a carriage. They could have just got horses. I mean, maybe, maybe it's like Dumb- what you said about Dumbledore. Maybe he just wanted to be dramatic and whimsy. And he's like, you know what? We're going to have pull the characters, Thestrals. And McGonagall's like, Dumbledore, they can't see them. He's like, exactly. Maybe it's a not a test, but like they want to know which, they don't know exactly what kind of lives these kids are coming to school from. So maybe they chose something that you can only see if you've seen death because they will hear the kids who've seen it mentioning it. And then they'll be like, oh, we want to make sure that there's some good role models for that kids. Like we want to make sure that our head of house reaches out to them to make sure because clearly they've been through some stuff already. Like, maybe that's it. It would be a interesting and smart idea to do it like that. I mean, that's high hopes for Dumbledore, but I really don't think he cares. I just think he thought it sounded cool. Yeah, it might have been a pre-Dumbledore thing. It might have been like a... <laughs> a pre-Dumbledore thing. Yeah. We want to know which kids are traumatized ahead of time, so we're going to have these... Dumbledore would just want to traumatize them more. Yeah, kind of. He's like, how can I manipulate these kids? <laughs> Maybe that's it. He's like, I want to know which kids are going to be easier to emotionally manipulate because they've been through some trauma, so I'm going to use Thestrals so I can... I feel like every episode, we just keep trashing Dumbledore more and more. <laughs> this is a Dumbledore hate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Dumbledore hate podcast, yeah. He's no Gandalf. He wishes he was, but he's not. <laughs> All right, moving into some more in-depth conversation. So my first point was, was it smart to send Harry back to the Dursleys before a term after the whole letter issue? Because I just feel like they went through all this struggle to get Harry his letter, and then they're just going to give him back to the Dursleys. Like, there's so many, like, what if the Dursleys just didn't give him a ride? Like, how is this 11-year-old supposed to get to London? by himself with no money and it just felt like they left a lot of stuff open for like to fall apart yeah i think either dumbledore sent a follow-up threatening letter you know petunia per my last or whatever if that child is not at the train station you'll receive an unpleasant visit from a very large obnoxious whimsical man (laughs) either that or maybe maybe they just had a backup plan like if harry wasn't at the train station they had someone else that was gonna go pick him up basically because they can't Unless they really, really threatened the Dursleys and were confident that they got them in line. 
it's stupid, but maybe they were confident they had the Dursleys in line. Like there was some type of intimidating follow up to Hagrid. Mm, yeah. I also kind of think it's interesting how Harry talks about how they kind of ignored him for that week before he went to school. And I'm wondering if they ignored him because they were mad at him. You know, they're mad that he knows things. They're resenting that he's there. Or if they were legitimately afraid. Yeah, that they don't want him to be a wizard. So they resent the fact that, like, he kind of got the letter and he knows everything now. And they kind of have to deal with it. But were they just mad and resentful? Or were they a little bit afraid of him? Now that he knows he's A, magical. And he knows there's things he's done in his past that were a little bit of magic. Because he can remember them. So I wonder if they're like, what if he tries to hurt us with magic? Like, I wonder if they're a little bit afraid of him. They're like, we know we've done shitty things. We don't want him to attack us. Like, they don't know. They definitely are feeling like their karma's coming. I can definitely see that. One thing I do feel sad about is Harry mentions that he liked it at first because it was kind of like, they weren't talking to him at all. They wouldn't reference him. So he was was very peaceful. But then he he references later on that it gets a bit depressing because he has no one to talk to. Yeah. And I was just like, this poor deprived kid. Like, he he's so deprived for, like, human interaction that, like, he'd rather them like, be mean to him and talk to him than, like, them not say anything. It's rough. It's, again, someone should have found him a real family. <laughs> uh, one of the things I always think is interesting is the way Molly is talking in the train station when you overhear her, like she's asking questions like, so which platform is platform nine and three quarters? And I always wondered if she was like testing the younger children, like, you know, like moms do like, oh, how do you spell apple? Or if it was intentional, so it would be overheard, like as a wizarding family that has a good relationship with like Dumbledore and stuff, if it was like a be a little bit overtly wizard in the train station so that muggle-born children can follow you. But you almost wonder Dumbledore asked her that there might be a kid that like that might be have struggled to get onto the platform and she can keep an eye out for him. Because I'm sure all the muggle-born children would struggle to get onto the platforms. Yeah, that's why I was going to mention earlier. So Hagrid doesn't mention to Harry, like, how to get on the platform, but he gives him his ticket and stuff. So I'm like, why isn't this mentioned in the letter or anything? Like, is there a separate thing given to, like, muggle-born families so, like, they know how to get on? But, like, I feel like that should just be included in Absolutely. the introductory letter. Because, like, it just feels like, yeah, like, you're just, like how did Hermione know to go through the platform? Like, who told her? Like, I mean, I, she got visited, her family was visited by McGonagall. So I'm sure McGonagall was thorough. I bet she has, like, a folder with instructions and maps and things. And she, he got Hagrid. And Hagrid's like, just go to the train station. Oh, poor Hagrid. We love him, but, oh, man. Yeah, maybe Dumbledore kind of, Dumbledore does know Hagrid. So maybe he kind of figured, like, oh, just in case, like, if you see someone hanging by the platform, help them out. Because I feel like Molly's genuinely surprised when it, the twins tell her it is Harry. But I do find it very either could just be a bit kind of like directing the plot and writing the way it's written. It's kind of like very, it seems very out there and like not very subtle to me, at least. It seems quite like, yeah, I don't know. I think they definitely had something where they were told because it would be dumb not to have anyone watching the platform entrance, you know, like you should have someone there to help people get through it. Like what if your family's from France and your parents went to Bobatton and so even though you're not Muggleborn, yeah. you've never ran through the brick wall at the train station. Also, especially if like they all have to go to London to catch the train. But what if you didn't live like in England? You lived like outside of England, so it's like your first time in London. Yeah. Like what if you're Welsh? Yeah. Be stupid if you lived in Scotland. And you're like, to get to the school that's in Scotland, you have to go to London. 
And then go to Scotland. Oh, I'd be so annoyed. <laughs> and that's probably so annoying for the parents who have to bring their kids to London when the parents themselves are like, we could just disapparate to Diagon to um to Hogsmeade and then just walk to Hogwarts. Like, but no. Yeah. Yeah, it seems a bit tedious. I feel like that was my mom. She'd be like writing a letter to the school and being like, my kid's not taking the train because they live 10 minutes from school. They're walking. <laughs> Your mom would. Yeah, so we're you know, we we're informed very early that Ron's wand is trash, which is true. Absolute garbage. <laughs> and I was thinking about this because I know obviously that Ron uses Charlie's wand because his family's poor and can't afford a new one for him. Mm-hmm. But we also know later on that Neville was using his dad's old wand for the first five years of school until it broke in their fifth year. So I was wondering, is like it a weird thing that old older families do to share wands or hand down wands? Because it is shown that Ron and Neville both do magic way better when they have wands that are actually like that chose them rather than using like hand-me-down wands. I think there's probably twofold to it. Like I think because Neville's lost his parents pretty much so young, it was probably like a trying to make him feel emotionally close to his parents and more of like a emotional family heritage thing. Like, well, we do know that his grandma really wanted him to live up to his dad's um yeah level as an order, and we know Neville was a very not like gifted child at least in the beginning but i also feel it was because his grandma was so like had so many expectations of him yeah so i think in neville's circumstances it was sort of emotional like i want you to have this wand because i want you to live up to what this wand's previous owner did and i want you to feel close to your father and like he's there with you all the time and i think in the weasley's thing it was entirely financial yeah i don't think they're like we want you to remember your brother who you see on the holidays and can talk to whenever you want i think it was like a well, we have this extra wand and they're so expensive. So I think it's like a twofold thing. Because I feel like if it were like a a status thing for old wizarding families, I feel like Draco wouldn't have his own wand if it was remotely considered. Yeah, he'd probably have his great, great grandfather's wand. Look at this antique wand that has unlimited power or something. Yeah, exactly. And we know it's not because when Harry gets Draco's wand from him and Ollivander looks at it, he says it's Draco Malfoy's wand. It's not the wand Draco uses that previously belonged to Svetlana of the Malfoy family 200 years ago. That was, um, so I think that it's, there are two different circumstances for why someone would use a wand that hasn't chosen them. But I think it's a poor choice. I think it's a really, like, I kind of understand it from Neville's grandmother's perspective because she was probably a bit traumatized. But I feel like from the Weasley's perspective, like... Well, I think also his family thought that Neville wasn't going to be magical for the longest time. I don't even think he showed magic to like right before he got his Hogwarts letter. It was like he's a very late bloomer. So I think her giving him the wand. Well, no, because they threw him out the window when he was like a toddler, I think. So that was... No, I thought I thought he was like 10 or something. Oh, he was eight. Okay, so we're both wrong. So I think it's interesting. But I think on the Weasley's part, if you're going to find a way to splurge, you should probably splurge on the wand for your child. Because like Ron probably got worse marks and things yeah i feel like that's the one thing to splurge on because that's yeah i definitely do think it's shown that his magic improves after after his second year when he gets it replaced and i do think i don't know if it's confidence for neville or also he after he just did the da but neville was also shown to be better at magic in his sixth and seventh years ron's wand is ash and it's one of the wand woods that is specifically stated as being particularly loyal and clinging to its original master who it chooses so they are recommended to not be gifted or passed down because they won't work as well for the next owner 
So that was also going against Ron. Not only was he using a hand-me-down wand, he was using a hand-me-down wand that specifically should not be handed down. You also think in the differences in Ron and Charlie too, like we know Charlie's really gifted with um, animals and dragons and he's also really into Quidditch, runs into those things too, but it's just, it's just like yeah. a difference in kind of like their personalities. Jaron really got the short in- end of a stick. I he got the he got the ash end of the stick. I feel like the wand is something you probably should spend. I think it's like, is it 10 galleons in the in the book or something? It's probably the most expensive item, but I think that's the most important because that's what you do all your magic with. Yeah. Because I feel like robes and stuff, you can like kind of mend them or kind of work with them. Like it doesn't matter how good you look if you can do really strong magic. Like I'm sure Ron would disagree and that he wants like the nice robes and stuff because you're on your love and you're very conscious about like how you look to your peers. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely think the wand's the most important thing. All right, moving on. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I just read a spelling mistake I put in my notes, and it's so good. Oh, did you see Sumbledore? I'll, I'll read it when I get there. Oh my gosh, yes. That's funny. See, if Harry told, um, was told to go through the platform first before Ron, and you have, why? Yeah, I do. Am I wondering is if, A, Miss Weasley knew Ron was a bit worried about it as well, and she thought if Ron sees some other clueless first year do it first, he'll feel more comfortable, or if it was written that way by the author purely to be sort of indicative of the fact that Harry's always going to sort of come first, you know, because he's Harry Potter. Maybe it's an unintentional kind of reason. I always thought that maybe... Mrs. Weasley was going to say something to Ron about the kid. Like, maybe she told Ron to go sit with him because Ron says everyone else is full. But maybe he was just, he was just, she was just kind of like, she could kind of sense Harry was anxiety ridden and a bit nervous. And she's like, you know what? He's your age. You should go sit with him and make him feel better. Yeah. Because I feel like Mrs. Weasley definitely is definitely that mom to encourage your kids to like be friends with everyone, be nice to everyone. Yeah, that makes sense. I think this is, it's written in my color, but I feel like this is your note. But we get a bit of spoilers from the chocolate frog cards when we learn about Grindelwald and Nicholas Flamel, which is like very foreshadowy and delightful. But also when you read it the first time, you don't think it's important at all. You're like, that's nice. Some old, probably dead dudes, you know? And then... I'm going to say we get a lot of like random names of like old famous wizards because when they're collecting the wizarding cards, they're mentioning them all the time. And so it's just a lot of names. And especially with all the other characters we're getting in this chapter. It's a lot of names in one chapter. So you kind of, it almost like they intentionally, it's like burying them with evidence sort of. Like they want us to feel, oh yeah, we have heard that name before. Like Harry does when he discovers how he knows about Nicholas Flamel. So they make sure they give it to us early, but they also give us so much stuff that feels more important. Like the names of people he's going to go to school with that we don't really remember it. So it gives us that same emotional experience as Harry when we finally realize Oh, we also know that name from something. Very interesting. I have a wonderful note here <laughs> on the chocolate frogs. Did Scumbledore rank the chocolate frog sold on the train to have his card so he would look cool to the first year? Oh, that's first Scumbledore. Of all, Scumbledore was entirely a spelling mistake, but I support it. <laughs> but also, I think that's the kind of thing you would do. Like, obviously, not all of them because, like, Ron gets there's other chocolate frog cards, but I wonder if Dumbledore being Dumbledore is like, making sure they scatter a few more than there would be of him into the chocolate frog cards so that when some of the first years or the kids on the train sort of arrive at Hogwarts for their first moments and seeing Dumbledore at the beginning of the year, he gets that sense of like, 
holiness that he enjoys, like the reveration and sense of awe. He's like priming them for how great he is. Oh yeah, it's kind of funny to think. It's a very big coincidence that Harry all he just magically seems to get the Dumbledore card after like he had his Dumbledore's number one fan Hagrid like talking about him all of last chapter. Yeah. I mean, it could just be that it's a very common card. Like, Ron says he has a bunch of Dumbledore. So, like, maybe it's just not a very rare card. But it could also just very much be that, you know, Dumbledore... It's something I think Dumbledore might do. You know? Slightly skew the way students are going to view him. When he goes to Hogsmeade, buys all the, the chocolate frogs that he knows has, has his cards in them, and then when he gets goes to the the trolley of all like the snacks he's like okay put all these ones in it just to be sure i i just think i think that's the kind of i mean and maybe i see him as more petty than he really is but i think i could that's the kind of like subtle priming that he does do to people so it wouldn't surprise me and i think it's my new favorite conspiracy theory <laughs> dumbledore rings chocolate frog cards because he needs the pr <laughs> oh the pr all right what's this next point you have oh it's I'm, i was on point I'm so funny. Um, I was just remembering the glorious spell Ron tries to do. The sunshine daisies buttermellow turn the stupid fat rat yellow. And it's the twins messing with him and telling Ron that that's a real spell. So he'll look ridiculous. But how much more entertaining would the entire Harry Potter series have been if that's what the spells were really like? Like Oh, they were all like rhyming and everything? Magic light. Magic bright. Turn on my reading light. Like, abracadabra, abracazam. Make this child dead. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We're not poets, but I think that would be quite entertaining, especially in the more serious moments in the films. Another character we meet, but we don't know who he is for a few books, is Scabbers, a.k.a. Peter Pettigrew. So Peter Pettigrew, a.k.a. Scabbers, bites Goyle when they get into this tussle with um, Draco and crew. So... Why did Scabbers protect them? Yeah, I just don't understand. I mean, like, Scabbers has no... He's an evil asshole. So it's interesting that in that moment, he's like, I'm going to protect these kids from the bully. Like, I wonder if in that moment, Peter Pettigrew was Peter Pettigrew and he remembered having been bullied as a child and was like, these assholes. And wasn't so much standing up for the kids that were in that train car, he was protecting a version of himself because in that moment he saw himself in the kids being bullied. Yeah, I wonder if it was more subconscious of him. Yeah, we know that Peter was probably a kid that was bullied before he became friends with Sirius and James and Remus. Since um, I think it's been referenced that he was a pretty, he kind of was Neville-like, so I think who they compare him to Neville. But I was wondering, because this is the first time Peter's seen Harry in ye- after 11 years and this is the first time he's seen like the consequences of his actions he has his friend's child in front of him and he's the w- reason that his parents aren't here and like why he's alone and everything and I felt maybe he subconsciously was feeling like he needed to protect him like maybe he felt the guilt of his guilty or something I don't see it that way I don't see it as I'm protecting Harry or I feel bad at all I I I see it as definitely a a personal selfish thing about, I remember being bullied. How dare these kids be the kinds of kids that would bully me, you know? Yeah, it's definitely interesting because we know Peter is a huge coward and he doesn't really have any particular stance unless it affects him. So it does seem very odd, like, once you learn that it is Peter, like, why did he do that? Like, what were his motives? Because, like, he doesn't do anything unless it benefits himself. So quite odd. Yeah. 
I wonder if that's one of those things that the uh, the author didn't know that Scabbers was Peter Pettigrew at that point and was just like, it's a rat. Yeah, maybe. If anyone has any opinions on why Scabbers defended Harry and Ron, let us know. We are very interested. Yes, on social media. There's Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, so you have Neville as part of the Golden Trio. Yeah, it feels kind of like Neville was primed early on to be part of the Golden Trio, and then they just sort of decided not, the author decided, like, now nah, we don't need him, it's fine, we'll just sort of, like, not have him be that close with them. Because early on it seems like they're trying to, like, he's mentioned fairly often, him and his toad and all that, it seems... He, he's and Neville is kind of it's kind of like there's Harry and Ron and then there's Neville and Hermione are kind of who are kind of like paired up at the beginning and then they're all put in the same house and then it's odd because there is more of a separation between Hermione and them and then once they become friends but like Neville wasn't included on that even though they do have quite a couple of moments especially in the future chapters with Neville like he's involved pretty heavily in a lot of like their shenanigans yeah it's like he just happened not to be there in the bathroom when the troll attacked, so he didn't get to be a part of their best friendship squad. <laughs> Sorry, Neville. Yeah, he didn't... He, yeah, he couldn't be included in, like, the the friendship moment. He wasn't there for it, so... On the topic of Hermione, I find it so interesting that one of the first lines she gets is, you have dirt on your nose. Like, I was like, oh gosh, she must have come across early on as so annoying. Like, I love Hermione, and I always love Hermione, but I'm like, oh yeah, like, what are, like... By the way, you have dirt on your nose. I just... Hermione has no social cues. I forgot just how awkward she is. Like, I remember it being bad, like, when she first meets, but I almost... She's so socially, like, awkward and, like, can't read a room. And it just gives me secondhand embarrassment because Hermione is my favorite character. And I was also like that as a kid. I was terribly bad at making friends and, like, making conversations, but she's also the kind of person I would have hated as an 11-year-old, just being the person that would kind of tell you what to do. She's, she's coming in there being like, you should get in your robes. You should do this. I'm like, oh my God, let me live. <laughs> so I definitely feel like Ron, like, oh my God, I hope she's not in my house. Because even later on, like, I'm probably gonna have a lot of like secondhand embarrassment moments when Hermione is just like so socially inept and just driving me crazy, but love her so much. But like, maybe she reminds me a bit of me. It's just, like, a really awkward 11-year-old. I also think that she's basically already behaving like she's a prefect or the head of house. It's pretty funny. She already sort of walks around and is like, gotta make sure everyone's getting ready. And I'm assuming Hermione comes from a pretty well-off family because both her parents are dentists and dentists make bank. I, I believe know. it. So I'm assuming that, like, and also since she was very smart, I'm assuming she's probably in, like, advanced placement classes or something. But she's giving this opportunity instead. And I'm assuming, like, her parents, like, she's very academic-based, so she that's how she gets praise, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, but uh, nagging people about robes and stuff doesn't so much seem like an academic thing. It almost seems like a, maybe she... Hermione's very based on, like, social... She doesn't get, like, social stuff, but she gets... She understands by, like, rules and regulations. So that, that's very much how she, like, learns... Like how she like kind of lives by, so and then she's in a new environment too. So I'm assuming she's also nervous, which is why she read all those books because she wants to be able to do well in a new environment. But I'm assuming like she's from a family where like she's the only child and her parents are very well off, so she is used to following rules and getting good grades and wanting to succeed that way. And yeah, so 
Yeah, I don't know if she was like nervous, so she's kind of telling people what to do. Yeah, maybe she's trying to like frame the situation to be the best situation possible. And she's like, this will be the best situation possible if everything goes exactly how it's supposed to go. And if- Well, yeah, we know Hermione has control issues with like how things are, how things are perceived and like to her. So maybe her trying to control this, it's her trying to control the situation. So if everything goes exactly according to plan, she thinks that's how it'll- end up at the pre-planned end outcome sort of that has been pre-approved by everyone so she's like we'll follow every single rule and i have to make sure everyone around me follows every single rule so everything will go so smoothly well there's definitely kids like that growing up like you know like the teacher's pet or the people that like would follow the rules but they were definitely the people that would also like try to tell you to follow the rules and then they'd be those annoying kids that like sat right beside the teacher's desk I think everyone had a person like that in their classroom. Or two. <laughs> or maybe you were that person. That's fine. I don't think I was that person. But I wasn't. There has Someone has to be that person. There's always that person. Yeah. We definitely think you definitely grow out of it. The person who reminds... It's the person who reminds the teacher that they forgot to collect the homework. Oh, God. And of course, that's the, the one day I didn't do my homework. That's just how it works. So last bit for this section is uh, we just had a bunch of Wizarding World info dropped on us this chapter. So a few things that were mentioned were Quidditch, as in the best sport ever, according to Ron. He mentioned all the Wizarding suites. We get an insight to a Wizarding jobs. So Bill working for Gringotts in Africa and Charlie working in Romania with dragons. We're also mentioning a bit about Voldemort and how the word Voldemort is kind of taboo in the wizarding world. And Harry even references that saying you know who kind of makes him more scared. And he felt more comfortable saying Voldemort, which comes to like full circle at the end of the series where Dumbledore tells him, call him Voldemort. Yeah, it's definitely a, a lot of information in one chapter, but... It's kind of just, I mean, they can't really go anywhere, right? They're on a train. So all they can do is either skip through the entire train section of his journey or have it be an information dump. Well, it's also because we meet Ron. So Ron's our only in like source into the wizarding world since he grew up here. So we get to get a lot more information. And it's just vague things that are kind of like things that I love people to talk about. They talk about sports, they talk about sweets, talk about their families. And so we get little tiny um, insights to all these little things that will come into play later. Like we talk, Quidditch becomes big later. We, The sweets will always be referenced throughout the series and the jobs become more in depth. And Voldemort obviously is a huge plot point that will be discussed later. So it's just our first little insight to more about the wizarding world as more of like a world and not just the school and being a wizard. Yeah. So lastly, we're just going to talk a bit about the Weasleys since they were our first family we met and they are a big part of the series. Yeah, um, I like how one of the earlier insights into Mrs. Weasley we get is her telling her children not to treat Harry like he's a zoo exhibit. I think it says a lot about Miss Weasley and how she raises her family. Like, she's acknowledging that she's not just saying don't make him uncomfortable. The zoo exhibit analogy is very, very good. It's like she not only understands what it feels like to be isolated and have everyone looking at you, but she understands how dehumanizing that could be for Harry. And she sort of gets all that across in one sort of offhanded quick sentence. But also the fact that she wants to make sure her kids know not to do that. It's very... Yeah, such so like knowing kids and stuff and how kids are at that age, she knows he's going to be gawked at anyway. So she wants to make sure her kids aren't like adding to that. Yeah, it's... And Mrs. Weasley's always been very maternal. Like, we see it a lot in this series, but just, like, how um, she is with Harry, even though when she doesn't even know he's Harry Potter, she's very much, like, a mom at heart, and she wants to take care of people. And so, yeah, she definitely 
telling off her kids. So we get a lot of insight into Mrs. Weasley and we get a little bit of Percy and how he's a prefect and he's a bit pompous. And we definitely get a lot of great Fred and George um, dialogue. And I always forgot how funny the twins were like when we first meet them, just like going off on Percy and like their back and forth bantering. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love them finishing each other's sentences. I think that's so beautifully twins. I love that they tell Ginny they're going to send her a toilet seat. They have a thing with toilet seats because I know later in the book they try to send Harry a toilet seat when he's in the hospital wing. And his mo- their mother writes them a letter telling them to stop blowing up toilets at another point in the series. So I'd love to get a backstory on the twins and their toilet fascination. I mean, bathrooms in at Hogwarts are dangerous, so maybe they should blow them up. <laughs> maybe that's it. They had a deep, unconscious understanding that the bathrooms were dangerous. Good on them. So we mo- you know, get a lot of information about Ron, since he obviously he's going to be a big part of the series. So even first meeting Ron, we can tell he already has a lot of insecurities. Yeah, they're very front and center. He talks about like, yeah, it's very obvious. He basically comes in and says like, you know, very insecure about his place and his family and in at Hogwarts because he's like the la- like the youngest brother going to school. And so and all his brothers have been very successful and like... They all have something different about them and they're all well liked and he wants that too but he's very insecure about how he fits in which plays into a lot of Ron's character going forward. Yeah early on you can tell that like he isn't going to be this ray of confidence and I think it's one of the reasons why he's such a relatable character to a lot of readers is that he I mean they know Harry has all these issues but in that moment maybe there's times when Harry isn't as relatable because they're like why wasn't raised in a household that was that emotionally abusive and I have a bunch of siblings and it's sort of Ron gives them a bunch of relatable things that yeah it's very it's a very human insecurity since I feel like even without the huge family like it's very common to have insecurities about where you fit in your family or where you fit in school or with your friends so yeah it's very relatable as I think even now you can still feel that and as an adult Comparing yourself to your siblings and comparing yourself to your classmates. and Or to your co-workers as an adult or in your company, yeah, in your industry. It never ends. But yeah, I definitely really like Ron. And it's really, I think it's really good that Harry and Ron met since Harry also has a lot of the same insecurities, but they're obviously different because they're kind of different situations. But Harry's able to relate to Ron's one of his biggest insecurities that we get really quickly is that he's very insecure about his financial situation and where his family stands in that. And Harry, who can relate because he has been mistreated and he, his, the Dursleys weren't like in financial ruin, but they were, they, he would, he had no money and he was given hand-me-downs. So he can relate to Ron to that. But it's also a big contention with Harry and Ron is that Ron always feels very insecure about how rich Harry is. And Harry just, who's never been rich in his life until now, just wants to share that since he has friends now. And he always wants to be generous and give everything. But Ron's very, always very insecure at that. And that's something that comes up a lot in the series for Ron and Harry. Yeah, the money issue. I think it's interesting that despite Harry having been really rich, he was, and being from a family that wasn't poorly off, like he, the, the Dursleys had a decent amount of money. Yeah, they had to be upper middle class. It's, it's interesting that he still has that comparison because despite how much money they had, the amount that was spent on him, getting him new things, taking care of him, providing for him was so little. And it's also neat because it gives you like a perspective, like Ron was a 
financially poor at home, but, like, he was very, like, rich on love. Like, clearly they were a very loving and involved family. And it's interesting to see how both coming from a similar, like, financial standpoint, how different they are about things, you know? It's different types of wealth. As I, was, I mentioned earlier, Harry's very drawn to the Weasley, so as soon as he meets them, like, once he sees that they're a family, like, he even watches them from the train since this is his first wizarding family he family he's met, and I feel like it's because it's a family, because that's kind of like what he didn't have and what he could have had. So I feel like he's very interested because it's his first time being wizards, but also like he asks Ron a lot of questions about his brothers and stuff. And he says, I wish I had wizarding brothers. I, w- I wish I had this. And it's just kind of like seeing what he could have had, which is kind of sad. But it's also like he also becomes a member of that family down throughout the series. So yeah. So sweet. I like that Miss Weasley is kind of his only mother figure. Like, he has all these father figures coming out of the woodwork. Everyone wants to be a father figure for Harry. But Miss Weasley is kind of, like, Minerva has a role in his life, but it's never a mothery role at all. Miss Weasley is, like, his OG one and only mother figure. It's kind of the only mother he really ever gets. Yeah. And it's interesting how, like, it makes sense that he takes to her so quickly because he's like, wow, a mom, yes, please. But it's it's very heartwarming how quickly she takes to him and how immediate her willingness to, like, take him in despite having a bazillion children and be like, also, this one is mine. You know, it's nice. Yeah, the Weasleys are great. 10 out of 10. Would recommend the Weasleys. The Dumbledores, eh, but the Weasleys. It definitely is different with how Mrs. Weasley, going back to your earlier point, like, we compare, like, how Harry was treated at the Leaky Cauldron to how he's kind of treated on the train where, like, Draco come in because they hear this Harry Potter, but Mrs. Weasley's like, you're not going to be those kids. You're going to leave him alone and be, like, normal. Because even when Fred and George come into the thing after they find out he's Harry Potter, they're just like, oh, hey, what's up? We're Fred and George. Yeah, they're very, they're honestly very, very, very well-raised kids. Like, I know the twins are little shits, but Molly Weasley raised her kids pretty well. <laughs> and for, I'm sure... I'm sure Arthur helped. <laughs> they all raised their kids quite Just well. Just a little bit, you know. Yeah. He, I'm sure he participated. <laughs> Ew. No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Tillery. Um, well, I guess one of my other sort of closing thoughts is the, because the Weasleys are the first wizarding family Harry sees and sort of really pays attention to. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of wizarding families at the train station saying goodbye, but that's the one he focuses on. I wonder, sort of in those moments, what he thinks all wizarding families are like. Because he didn't really meet Draco's family. He sort of got a glimpse of Draco. So I wonder if he thinks, like, all wizarding families are huge and have a bunch of loving siblings. And all wizarding families... Like, I wonder how skewed his view on wizarding life was. And because he had such small sample sizes still how how much he was expecting that from other wizarding families and maybe became disappointed later on when he realized that a lot of the wizarding families aren't that. He met one of the best ones and there's the same amount of trouble in families in the wizarding world as there is in the muggle world because maybe in his mind, well, the muggle family he knows is awful and the first wizarding family knows he's great. So maybe he's like, I'm a wizard and all wizarding families are great. And maybe he had to, like, come to terms with the fact that, like, that's not how the world works. There's still a great degree of variation amongst things. But I wonder if it was just, like, candy-coated. Because I think it's in the next chapter, all of them kind of talk about, like, their families. So we learned that Hermione and Dean are, like, fungal-born. We know that Neville's read by his, his grandma and Seamus is a half-blood because his mom's witch is that's a muggle. 
So I think we do find out pretty soon. Dad's a muggle, mom's a witch. Bit of a nasty surprise for him when he, found, when he found out. I can't do the accent. I wish I could do the accent. Probably shouldn't. If <laughs> We might offend people. <laughs> it's a glorious accent. If I could, I would. It's beautiful. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Do you have any other closing remarks for this chapter? Closing remarks are, I love the Weasleys. I think they are great. I think Fred and George are delightful, and I always get excited when I read about them when I reread the series, because I know what trouble is coming. Um, I'd love to, in future chapters, look at, like, if they're mean. Because some of their pranks are not the nicest pranks in the world, and if they're against, like, teachers, it's kind of fine. If they're against, you know, Filch, it's kind of fine. Yeah, I definitely talk about the, the Weasley twins compared to the Marauders because I know a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about the Marauders and if were they bullies, were they bad? But like also compared to the twins, does that mean because everyone loves the twins, so were they as bad? Because some of their pranks get because I don't think the twins are bullies. They do things like test their food on like first years, like their weird potion candies, but they pay them. Yeah, it's just like, it's just, there's very um, double standards, I feel like, because I feel like, yeah, the Marauders could be bullies, but also the twins also did stuff, but just because they were two characters we didn't like, does that make them bullies? Yeah, I agree. We'll have to do a deep dive. But yeah, there'd definitely be something to to look into in later chapters or episodes. Yeah, I agree. It'll be fun. And I'm very excited to get to sorting. Yep, we are very excited to dive into sorting next chapter. Let's do our extra... Thank you for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited, and we will be back next time with our chapter discussion for Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. You can follow us uh, across social media at Potter Revisited, and you can also email us at PotterRevisitedPodcast at gmail.com, especially if you have any thoughts about sorting, as that's going to be our big discussion next episode. And thanks so much for watching. Bye! Bye! Bye.